I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. Hey folks, just before we get going, today's show focuses on my preparation and training for the upcoming seven-day Alt Route Riding Challenge all the way through the Alps in France. Now, throughout my training journey, as time-starved as I am, I utilize the insights and recommendations from the team at Inside Tracker. It was three assessments over nine months. And over the course of that journey, I gained insights into areas that can improve both my health and performance. These included my iron, ferritin levels, vitamin D, B12, even my LDL cholesterol. And most of these, I was blissfully unaware that they are actually holding me back. Over seven months of training, I improved my body composition, I stayed healthy, and on top of it all, I had trackable, measurable improvements across my biometrics. And no matter what your goals are, you can leverage too. You don't need to be a purple patch athlete to do so. All you need to do is head to insidetracker.com slash purplepatch and use this code purplepatchpro20. That's purplepatchpro20 and you get 20% off everything at the store. All right, I hope you enjoy the show. It's a fun one today. And welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. As ever, your host, Matt Dixon. And in today's show, well, we're going to have a little bit of fun. We are going to do a preview of the upcoming Alt Route Alps, the seven-day, 800-kilometer challenge that takes riders from Nice to Megève in France. It is labeled as one of the toughest cycling challenges in the world. But why are we doing this? Well, me, along with my brothers, despite not really having time to prepare, at least in the classical sense that you might think, I'm set to participate. And this is a catalyst for us at this show to be able to do something fun, something that we've never done before. Between August the 20th and 27th, we are going to do something brand new. We are going to put out a daily show from on the ground at the Alt Route and allow me to report in on my progress, some of the challenges and adversity that I'm sure I'm going to have to navigate and hopefully a bunch of really funny little stories and anecdotes. So today we thought, you know what, we should preview the event and the challenge. We should outline what we're going to do around the event, but also, and I think most importantly for today, we are going to frame how I, as a classic example of a time-starved athlete, decided to prepare for this thing. Now, before we get going, let's do a little bit of news. Yes, it is time for Matt's Newsings. Yes, it's Matt's Newsings, and I've got a couple of quick hits for you this week, gang. The first, the Purple Patch Training Camp in St. George, Utah, September the 13th through the 18th. Why do I flag this? Because we have a single spot left, just one, one more, and it is closed. No one else can join. And so if you have a late season event upcoming, maybe you've qualified to the Hawaii Ironman, perhaps you are doing the St. George Ironman 70.3 World Championships, or if you have any other event, this can be a great catalyst. It is a race-specific triathlon training camp for all levels. It's exclusive, it's highly intimate, and it's going to be high impact. We have a great ratio of coaches, 
relative to athletes. And of course, I will be there throughout the camp. You can head to the website, go to the camp page, and you can see it all there under the performance camps. You might also see that we've actually just released our Kona camp in January 2023. That's always the real special one as well. That's already half full. So you might want to act on that. That one sells out in just a week, typically, or so. Speaking of which, Second thing I want to point out in Matt's Newsings this week, we are in full race mode at Purple Patch. And so if you are chasing an event in the back half of this year, well, it might be time to hop on board the ship a little bit. Perhaps you've got a full marathon or half marathon coming up. It's a wonderful time to join our new program for this year, the Run Squad, a multi-sport approach to keeping you really healthy, but also preparing you for events and making sure that you amplify your run performance. Or perhaps you're a triathlete getting ready for triathlon. Well, we have our Tri-Squad. And that is a super program and community of athletes, all like-minded, looking to maximize performance, get massive gains in their overall performance as well, of course, but also make sure that they can do it within the context of their time-starved lives. And perhaps you're neither of the two. Maybe you're self-coached. Maybe you're part of another program. But we have a lot of athletes that actually leverage our third program, which is Bike Squad. Now, that Bike Squad offers video-enabled both live and on-demand bike trainer workouts. And a lot of athletes love to use these as the backbone of their broader program. Now, in synchronization with that, in parallel, as a part of Bike Squad, you also have a season-long or year-long program around strength and conditioning. All video-enabled, all fantastic. You still become a part of the community. And that's why we get to welcome so many self-coached athletes that can leverage that as a wonderful supplementary program. Of course, on top of it all, if you would prefer a more intimate, direct, one-to-one -one relationship, and then you can always get on board with one of our coaches. But don't try and guess on what you need. If you're interested, if you want to become a part of the Purple Patch family, feel free to reach out. We're delighted to help you understand the suite of offerings, but also have a conversation to help you make the best choice for you. All you have to do is reach out to info at purplepatchfitness.com and we'll set up a complimentary consultation with you. There'll be no pressure. Hopefully it will be helpful for you and let's get you onto the right program. But Barry, this week, with all of that done, that is Matt's Newsings. We are going to skip word of the week this week because we want to talk about the alt route 2022. It is time for the meat and potatoes. Yes, it is the meat and potatoes. And to kick us off, I want to give you a little bit of context of why this year's Alt Route 2022 is such an important event for me. Since the age of 12 or so, I actually haven't lived under the same roof as either of my brothers, Martin and Peter. Now, they were off to college at the time. I was at home. My parents had got divorced. I was living with my dad. And then at 18, I left for America. Yep, I came across to college here. Now, of course, going back and forth for vacations and such. But since that time, effectively, I have spent all of my adult life in the United States. My brothers, well, Martin, spent some time living in France, now married to a lovely French woman, Lorette, but lives down in Cornwall in the southwest of England. Peter traveled extensively, but lived all of his adult life in London. But throughout all of this time, we have remained very close. We are great friends, and I would say great brothers. And right now, we all dance either side 
for 50 years of age. And on August the 21st, we will begin together the Alt Route to Alps. And so it's a magical riding experience that really is for the three brothers, a bit of a once in a lifetime opportunity. And I think that there's a little undertone of making it even more special because we lost our mother late last year from COVID-19. Now, above our, the three of us, we will be joined by five other friends and we're gonna make up a team although I wouldn't label us a performance team, but make up a team of middle-aged men who are desperately clinging on to their youth. Good. Well, let's talk about the Alt Route Alps. Why are we doing this and what is it? So it's labeled as one of the toughest endurance cycling events in the world. It is the original version of the Alt Route series events that now span the world. Over the course of seven days, we have to navigate 800 kilometers of total riding. There are about 22,000 meters of total elevation gain. For you guys in the States, that's about 70,000 feet of climbing. And it's gonna ask us to navigate six mounting stages. And midway through the week, we also have a very nasty time troll to race up a mountain. Goodness me, imagine doing six stages of the Tour de France and then those nasty, nasty organizers throwing in a hill-based time trial along the way. So today we're gonna to preview. And I thought the best way we can do this is a very brief breakdown of each of the stages. That's gonna give you a real flavor of what all of the participants, about 600 participants are here, all of the participants are gonna to have to navigate through their journey. So we're gonna go through and then at the end of the show, I'm gonna talk about how I actually chose to prepare. And ultimately I say I chose to prepare, but it was really how I was forced to think out of the box to prepare for this thing when I didn't really have enough capacity to at least do a program that you might think is more classical when you're doing a multi-stage day event like this. So let's break it down one stage at a time. It should be fun. And I'll make this pretty brief, but at least by the end of it, you're gonna have a little bit of flavor of what we're gonna go through. So stage one, we kick off in Nice, France. Of course, that was the host town for the 2019 Ironman 70.3 World Championship. So if you were a lucky participant in that event, you kind of know what the terrain is like coming out of Nice, France. It's a little bit uppish. And we kick off with a golden stage, 180 kilometers of riding, and just a very simple 4,000 meters or about 13,000 feet of elevation gain. It is a nasty, nasty crawl stage, especially for the folks like me that are gonna certainly be battling jet lag having arrived no more than about 24 to 36 hours before the start of the event. So that's stage one. That's gonna be a welcome to Alt Route gang, here we are. We then quickly transition on to stage two. Now, the name of this stage that they have given it is the Two Giants, and I think that gives you the story. Whereas days one was 180 kilometers with 4,000 meters, this stage is shorter, only 120 kilometers, but it still offers up almost 4,000 meters of climbing. So that means I think I'm gonna get a little bit of a neck ache from having my chin in the air looking up at the elevation ahead. Now, my prediction for myself is that this day might be my toughest day. This might be the one that I potentially struggle the most. Who knows? I don't know what's going to unfold. But personally, I often feel pretty ragged 
on the second day of these sort of camps or experiences. So we're going to see, but especially amplified by the big travel that I have coming from San Francisco to Europe, I've got a sneaky feeling that day two might be a little bit of a kick in the ribs for me. So that's two days in. And I think after those two days, we're going to have to start to create or we'll start to see a little bit of order coming out amongst the 600 competitors. Now, I should mention at this stage that none of us on our team really have any expectations of being anywhere near the front. That's not the point of why we're doing this. But what I do expect to happen is each of us is going to start to have our own little camaraderie group starting to join, even a little bit of competition of the folks all around us that happen to be around the same individual level as us. In other words, what you can expect is by about day, day three, you can expect me to be battling with a Klaus or an Agnes or a Jürgen, all in a desperate clinging on hope for absolute mediocrity. Doesn't it sound inspiring? Anyway, so two stages in. Let's go to stage three. The name of this stage all for the views. You can appreciate this. This is where we're going to start to really enter the magic of the Alps. And it is another day, third in a row, where it's more than 3,000 meters of elevation gain. It includes the legendary Le Douze Alpes, and it's got a very high elevation. So this is the first day that we're going to have to start to bring in altitude as a factor relative to our fatigue, our power outputs, our hydration and fueling, etc. And I expect that those folks that have done poorly on days one and two around their pacing, their fueling, their hydration, this is where it starts, might start to become a real factor. Stage four, well, I would be hoping by a rest, for a rest day by then, but I ain't going to get it. Stage four, it is a beast. In fact, it's the biggest climbing day of the whole week. 4,200 meters or more of climbing. It includes the very famous Col de Glandon, which I hear is very nasty. I've never actually done that climb. And I think that this is, in honesty, where some of the stitching is going to start to come unraveled for many of the competitors, maybe even me. It is true, fatigue is going to be a factor. And I think that the big thing on this stage is for folks to really think about staying safe in any groups that might form, especially through the descents in the valleys. And of course, those big descents, having to stay really focused and using the opportunity to restock on calories to make sure that their brain function and focus is really, really sharp. Goodness me, four stages in, I know that you're going to start to see a withered, maybe drawn in cheeks as we go through this. But stage five, well, it's a little bit of a kick in the butt because stage five is the time trial. Now, they always label this as an opportunity for a bit of a rest. All it is, is 2,000 meters straight up the La Loz climb. So 2,000 meter climbing time trial up a mountain pass. And it is an opportunity where many will think about actually just riding up there really smooth and calm and maybe using it for a little bit of a restoration. My problem is my genetics and DNA because I can claim, oh, I'm going to go easy. But in honesty, I'm just way too much of a competitive bastard. And I bet that I will just try my best and turn myself inside out, no matter the consequences. I guess we'll see, but I'll definitely be honest. I'm not claiming my performance will be great, but my effort will probably be great. 
So after that, we're going to be hunting or at least smelling home. Stage six, it's called the classics, and it is a tough final big mountain stage of the Alt Route de Alps. 3,600 meters of climbing, but it also includes the Corme de Rosalan. That's been featured in 12 tours. It's going to be a fantastic climb. There's plenty of other little uppish hills around that as well. And I think this is the place where the fitness of those that have truly prepared and the really smart people that have looked after themselves can really climb up in their rankings relative to the people around them. The final stage, stage seven, well, we can call that the final assault. It's a very, very lumpy and bumpy loop that brings us back around to Megève in France. That's very close to Geneva, and it will be the end of the ride. So ironically, that last stage, a lot of people say, oh, it's not too bad. It's only 2,800 meters, but there's almost no flat roads on that stage. It's up, down, up, down. It's a real strength-based stage. What could possibly possibly go wrong. Now for me, there's stage eight, and that is a long trip back to San Francisco, although one would assume that that might include a few beers along the way. So I haven't even started this race, and I can tell you that I'm already highly recommending it. It's going to be a fantastic experience, but we'll have a little bit more on that later as we get into our daily show. Let's talk about how we plan to navigate this event. Now, I should caveat, what we're planning to do here is a little bit risky because I'm going to be riding through the Alps and we're going to be staying in some very small villages with some mediocre hotels that maybe have some relatively spotty Wi-Fi. And so while Barry is here in the luxurious surroundings of the Purple Patch Center getting ready for his post-production on a daily basis, I'm going to be desperately trying to cling on to the best signal I can to get across all of the photos and videos and, of course, the recording to help you guys follow along. And so we will do our best. But if we struggle, well, at least you'll know why. What I will be doing in addition is I'm going to be posting a whole bunch of images and little mini reports and videos, and that's going to be via our social channels. Now, probably the best place to follow along with that is our Instagram. If you don't follow us on Instagram yet, it's at Purple Patch Fitness is our little tag name, as they call it, or our handle. I think that the real kids would call it. And that's where you'll be able to see all of the instant action, at least as best as I can possibly do. Now, I should say that these little mini shows, they're going to be somewhere between uh, around seven minutes to 15 minutes in duration. So we don't want to take up much of your day. We realize that you're time starved. But each show is going to be full of little videos and images that will really try and bring it to life. And so we're going to do an audio version. So you can just carry on in your regular place that you tend to digest your podcasts. But we're also going to be doing a video-based version. And you can follow that at the Purple Patch Fitness YouTube channel. In fact, with all of the images that I hope to get across, I think that's certainly the recommended platform that you should follow along. What I plan to do, well, I'll probably do a daily stage report how the day went, what was good, where I struggled. I also want to unpack some of my lessons that I'm having on the fly around my fueling and hydration. I've been very lucky I've had the support of Andy Blow at Precision Fueling and Hydration, but I know that with his framework, what we don't know is what's going to happen on day two, day three, day four, day five. And so I'm sure I'm going to have to adapt. So I plan to outline each day 
what I consume, how I adjust it, and what the experience is like. And that's going to be really interesting relative to the variable weather that we might experience, some of the altitude that we're going to navigate, and of course, the fatigue over seven days of riding. In addition to it all, I hope to share some fun insights, stories, and anecdotes. I'm sure I'll make fun of myself, but even more, I'm going to make fun of some of my teammates, and especially, especially my two brothers. I've had people ask, is it a competition? Is it going to be a big race? Well, I've already said, I don't anticipate any of us being up at the pointy end of the field. We're not going to be highly competitive. And this is about three brothers doing an experience. It's not about who wins between the three of us, as long as I win, and then everything will be great. Anyway, so seven to 15 minutes in duration. As you go through, the best source to answer and ask any questions that you might have about the experience is either via our Instagram, I'll keep an eye on that, or the comments in YouTube. I'm happy to keep track and I'll do the best I can relative to the fatigue and the tears and the dread to answer any questions that I have. And that's the story. Now, before I depart, before I go and do this thing, I want to point out that this isn't some ego-fueled trip. I'm like, look at me, look at what I'm doing. Because I realized this event actually pales in comparison to so many of the achievements that many, many Purple Patch listeners and the audience have completed or are taking on. Some of the challenges and performances that our athletes do go well beyond what I'm doing here. And I realize that it's nothing special in the big context, but I want to break down my preparation. I want to share the journey for really two main reasons. The first is that I am, in many ways, a classic example of a time-starved athlete. And the truth is that when I looked at my priorities around family and purple patch, I didn't really have capacity to train for this event, at least in the way that I would if I didn't have those responsibilities. And so what I've had to do is think outside of the box. I've had to apply much of the purple patch methodology to myself. And I had to maintain throughout the journey this within context, my priority, number one family, number two purple patch, and then the alt route. And that was important. And so this has been really a little bit of an experiment for me. And the reason I want to do the data report is to ensure that I can honestly reflect on the preparation relative to my performance. And we'll see. The second thing, and the second reason that I want to share with this, is that much of our audience really, really love to take on the challenge of triathlons, Ironman and Ironman 70.3 distance. But I believe that it's wonderful to actually think outside of the box. And as you look forward to the coming years, to consider events like the Alt Route, or maybe some trail running adventures, or gravel adventures. And in the spirit of being a multi-sport athlete, these types of events can be wonderful life experiences, can create great challenges as a compass to train for, but also can be supplementary to you becoming a better triathlete along the journey. And so I hope that that's going to come out of this experience and journey. We'll see, but that's the mission as we do it. And so to finish the show, I just want to break down how I have prepared. And so it's out there. I can't change what I've done now, but at least we'll then have, this is what we did in preparation. This is the outcome and the performance. So the first thing I'll do is give you some stats. So I'm 48 years of age. 
you know that Kelly's my wife, and you may know that we have a son, Baxter, who is 10. My role as it comes to work, well, I'm the founder and co-CEO, along with Kelly, of Purple Patch Fitness. Okay. When I began my training journey, so that was really January of this year, I weighed 89 kilograms. I'm about just a hair under six foot three in height. So the good news is I managed to maintain my height. I didn't shrink through this, and that's probably a positive. But as of this morning, decided to do a little bit of a weigh-in. I don't tend to really check my weight too much, but I did a weigh-in. Remember, I started in January at 89 kilograms. So I'm now just a hair under 84 kilograms. So I'm a bigger bike rider. I think I'll be Gulliver relative to many of the riders that are going to be on this trip. That's it. And as of today, I guess I should add, I'm really healthy, I'm energetic, I'm injury-free. So all of that is a real positive. So how did I train? Well, first, let me outline some of the challenges that I had. First, with family and work, I simply didn't have the ability to ride my bike every weekend. I had very limited opportunity to actually do the long over-distance rides that almost every coach in the planet would recommend to get ready for a multi-stage event like this. I just couldn't go out for seven or eight hour bike rides to get ready for this thing. I also had about seven to eight trips that I had to take throughout January until leaving for this event, some of which were purple patch work trips, a few of which were family trips. Now, the good news is some of these trips actually worked in my favor because there were things like training camps and we can leverage and I'll get into that. Let's first, before we talk about January till August, let's go back and talk about my couple of years of activity that you could call my foundation. What was my state of fitness and my regular training journey as I went through the pandemic years, 2019 into 20 into 21? So typically what I would be doing is, I would say staying really healthy and relatively fit. I did three or four runs each week. They would be somewhere between 45 to 60 minutes. I occasionally actually went through a block where I trained for a longer distance trail running race. And so that included some more mileage, but typical week, three, four, five runs a week, 45 to 60 minutes. I also was doing two sessions a week where I was leading a live bike trainer-based session, 60 minutes of high intensity intervals and almost no riding my bicycle outside, outside of perhaps going on a training camp, and I would suffer through with some of the better athletes. Outside of that, I really wasn't riding my bike outside at all. So that was it. January 2022 now, my training, if you want to call it that, my training, at least my preparation could begin in earnest. And as I started to think about this, knowing that, all right, there's really no getting out of this. There are eight of us that are committed. There are my two brothers. I've really got to get fit for this. I'm going to do this thing. So the first thing I did was actually sit down and plan with Kelly. I think it's the best thing that you can do. And we discussed, was this even first feasible for me to take on? And we decided that, yes, we would do this or I would do this with her support. And I'm really thankful for that. But what we wanted to do was align and plan the year ahead. So we looked at opportunities. Where could I actually get clusters of the necessary back-to-back -back rides, as well as some of the longer rides that I would really need to go and be anywhere close to prepared for this event? So the good news is, because I lead Purple Patch, is I had a few training camps 
to get ready. So I could leverage that riding with some of the Purple Patch athletes. And while I would be coaching, at least I would be riding at the same time. We also looked at maybe some special occasions, some treats for myself, Father's Day, my birthday, where I could leverage and go and sneak out some longer duration bike rides. And there are also a couple of occasions where actually Kelly and Baxter traveled and I was home alone. So that was another opportunity that I could sneak some longer riding in. Outside of those, there were only two or three other times where as a family, we said, okay, this is going to be an alt route riding weekend. And over the course of a Saturday or a Sunday relative to Baxter sporting events that I didn't want to miss or other family logistics, I would go out, get up very early, leave at 6 a.m. and get out for a long over distance ride. From January till now, two to three occasions. Now, beyond this, I had to be really creative with my training program. So what did that look like for my longer duration bike rides? Because I think that ultimately to get ready for a multi-day ride like this, you have to think about what are the master sessions, the big performance sessions over the course of many months. So here's what I had in my favor. Here's what I managed to get done. In January, we had a multi-day purple patch training camp in Hawaii. Good, that was a nice kickoff to the year. In May, I had a training camp in Napa that I led. Good, another bonus. In June, we led a training camp in South Carolina. I managed to go two and a half days to that camp. Good, another one. And in July, we did a family trip to Europe, which was reduced overall in training. But while we were in Lausanne in Switzerland, I did get to do three days of riding back to back. Another big multi-day stage of riding, three hours, five hours, three hours. So pretty good cluster of riding in that time. As I mentioned, I had a long ride on Father's Day, a long ride on my birthday, and a couple of weekend days that were those designated alt-route sessions that were in partnership with the family. So this all added up that over the course of the last seven months, I've managed to accumulate a total of seven rides that have been more than 100 miles in duration. And those seven rides were all more than 3,000 meters of elevation gain. Seven opportunities. The rest of my riding, they were sneaky rides, two, three to four hours, getting up very early in the morning, made up typically of some road riding, some gravel bike rides, some mountain bike rides. That was it. Now, outside of that, because that isn't close to helping me get ready for this event, many folks have asked me, well, what was a typical week? Well, I went through the lens of the only way that I can get ready for this thing beyond those big events, those sort of seven to 10 rides that I managed to cluster up over seven months is to hit consistency. I always talk about that as being the backbone of any great performance evolution. And so I thought I've got to eat my own dog food. I'm going to go after consistency. And so a typical week, as best as I can build it up, a typical week would look something like this for me. On a Monday, typically a little bit tired and also very busy at Purple Patch, a big kickoff day for us in the week of Purple Patch, typically plenty of meetings. That would be an easier day. Now, normally that would be a soul-filling run, as I like to call it, somewhere between 45 and 60 minutes, very easy in the trails near my house. I'm very lucky I can run straight into trails. Lovely. On Tuesday, one of the big key sessions of the week, a 60-minute bike trainer workout. These are the live coach sessions that I lead out of the Purple Patch Center 
in San Francisco. And these are nearly always high intensity intervals, a lot of short, sharp, high intensity work. That was it. Now, in the afternoon, I might sometimes get another 30 to 40 minute run if I'm lucky. If not, I might also get to record one of the video on demand coach sessions that we use across the Purple Patch ecosystem. So that's another replication of a bike trainer workout, but I would always do that at a much, much lower intensity for you guys that like to use zone somewhere around zone two. So Tuesday would be morning key interval session, big breakfast, and then maybe something in the afternoon if I'm lucky, a little bit of a shorter run, or of course, one of those recordings of a video on demand session. Good. So those are the first two days. Wednesday, I would try and get up and do somewhere around 75 to 80 minutes of a hilly trail run, thinking in the lens of strength endurance. But because of time efficiency, easier for me to go out and do a run than it would be to go out and ride two hours. I just didn't have capacity for that. On Thursday, it was back to a trainer-based session. Again, very high intensity, leading the live coach bike sessions. And so I had a coaching role there, but I would also try hard in them. And I was typically doing low cadence, high torque, what we call strength endurance sessions. Those are the real sort of special source of purple patch in many ways. And those were, I think, really, really valuable for me. Doing low, low cadence, high torque work all in a coached environment, feeling connected to the community, a lot of fun. And that would get me through Thursday. Typically wouldn't do anything else. Occasionally I'd get to record another video on demand coach session, but again, that would be low intensity. Friday, another easy day, 45 minute shakeout run, maybe even nothing on Friday. And then on Saturday, assuming that I didn't get the opportunity to ride long, it would be a two, three to four hour gravel ride or road ride. Typically, that would be pretty fun. And if I didn't have capacity to do that, maybe Baxter had a swim meet, I would go out and do a 60 to 70 minute run, but I would put some intensity in there. You start to see the pattern of, okay, reduced hours, you hit higher intensity. On Sunday, nearly always the same, a longer duration hilly trail run. When I say longer duration, somewhere between 80 and 100 minutes, always strength-based. So going uphill a lot, running downhill. So I'm getting ready for a seven day ride through the Alps and you hear quite a lot of running, but that's what I had to do to fit in the magic word of consistency. Now I didn't swim at all. And the most glaring hole in this is the big opportunity to do back to back bike rides. I probably had a cluster of three or four opportunities where I got to do two to three rides in a row. So I thought, how can I actually break this mold? This is a need for multi-day resilience, but I don't have capacity or opportunity to do multi-day rides very often. And so what I look to do here is leverage every opportunity that I had if I did get to do a big long ride. So let's just say that I had the chance on one weekend to go out on a Saturday and ride big. Now, for, for me, that was somewhere between 100 and 120 miles and typically try and hit over 3,500 meters of climbing and elevation gain. The way that I would pad around that is on Friday, I would really try and do a tough interval-based trainer workout. In other words, I would record one of our video-on-demand coach sessions and I would do it very, very strong. 
I'd then go and do the over distance the next day without any intervals in, just go and choose really hilly riding. And then on Sunday, I would try and build and optimize resilience by hitting that very long trail run, at least very long for me, somewhere between 80 and 100 minutes, all on trails. And so where that's left me is, as I said, I'm healthy, I'm a little bit lighter, I think I'm really fit, I've built it out over consistency, I haven't had many blocks where I've lost motivation or haven't executed consistent, really effective training, but it still leaves us with questions and a little bit of a real mindset of, wow, this is a crazy experiment. So the things I don't really know is how will my body respond? How will it respond with the overall total low weekly hours of training, averaging somewhere around eight to nine hours a week of training, typically outside of those weekends that I did get to eat, to work, uh, to ride really long. I also have a question around running. How would that actually transfer into riding? Will it actually help me? Or will it not really help me at all? And also on top of it, will the focus on a whole bunch of really high intensity intervals provide any assistance in a multi-day riding trip? And those are the big questions. I don't know how my body's gonna respond. I'm not sure if the running was useful, I think it was. And knowing that I didn't have the hours to do it and leaning into intensity, can I break the mold a little bit on that big base building that of course would be preferable if I had all the time in the world. If I actually go back and review my total training hours that was typical in a week, and let's say that I had an average of 10 hours that I managed to nail. It's a little bit less than that, but let's say it was 10, except on those big weeks where I did get to ride long. But on a typical January, February, March, I was knocking off somewhere around 10 hours a week of training. I could label about 40% of those hours as being high intensity. So of total training time, about 40 to 50% were higher intensity. Now, if I got to do 20 hours in a week, and occasionally I did manage to do that on the training camp, et cetera, that relative percentage would shrink. It would go down to about 15 to 20%. And that makes sense. But the key lesson there is that as I added hours, I didn't increase total intensity. I maintained the key intensity, and then I got the opportunity to build overall resilience. And that's where it becomes more polarized. But on a typical week, I wasn't polarized at all because I had shrunk a number of total training hours. So to try and combat that a little bit, I amplified intensity. Look, I had a limited training budget, so therefore I had to hit more intensity. One thing I will add, I kept nearly all of my running intensity pretty low. And that was because I wanted to be strength-based, leveraging hilly trails, but I also wanted to make sure that I could keep my tissue really healthy. So out of all of that, am I confident? <sighs> well, if I have to be honest, uh, I think it's important for me to highlight here that I've got a really rich history in endurance sports, pretty much lifelong. I've got a lot of experience. I grew up a swimmer. I swam at a high level. I trained for triathlons, did a whole bunch of mileage, too much mileage when I was a triathlete. And so I do have a rich history and I have that in my favor. And I think that's important for me to acknowledge. On the flip side, in the last 10 years or so, I really haven't done that much. It wasn't until about 2019 that I started to really revert back to, hang on, 
I'm just about to get really old here. I need to get back into being really consistent, fit and healthy. And I've done that over the last three years. But the 10 years prior, I would say I was really detrained. So on one hand, I've got 20 years of endurance to draw from. On the other hand, the last decade's been a little bit spotty. Now, with all of that, I can say that within the context of my life and the priorities, Kelly and Baxter first, Purple Patch second, this being third, I have done everything I can do within the context to get ready. And while I know it's gonna be tough and challenge me, I think I'm absolutely fit enough to go and navigate it, enjoy it and emerge successfully. And so yeah, overall I think I'm pretty happy and pretty confident. Final piece of today's show, we're just gonna dig into habits and nutrition. I always talk about the importance of considering sleep, recovery, nutrition, fueling, etc. So I just want to really quickly share how I went about it. So there are a few quick hits here. Approaches to daily nutrition, hydration, and fueling. Here's some things that I absolutely adhere to. Number one, I can say that with 100% consistency, every single training session that I did, I followed it with fueling within 30 minutes. It always included protein and carbohydrate, and it nearly always included a big glass of precision hydration. And so that's really the backbone of what I did. I made sure that I consumed calories immediately following every single piece of exercise that I did over the last seven months. That's number one. Number two, I had breakfast every single day, and it was a priority meal. Typical, it would be a very large bowl of oatmeal, a whole bunch of chia seed, flax seeds, almonds, berries, yogurt or yogurt for the Americans. It added up to about 1,200 calories, and that was my kickoff. Breakfast is the most important meal of the day. I did that almost every day over the last seven months. I often had a snack mid-morning. That could be various things, but often some more yogurt, maybe even a little bit more yogurt or, or uh, oatmeal or overnight oats. And then at lunch, I tended to be very protein and veggie heavy. That would often be a tuna poke bowl with a little bit of rice and a whole bunch of vegetables, maybe some chips because I like potato chips and some fruit. And then in the afternoon, I'd typically have a snack. That might be something around hummus, crackers and fruit. And then the meal at night was always anchored around a large, large piece of protein, lots of veggies and some carbohydrate. Now, probably five or six out of every seven days in a week, I would have a few bites of ice cream at night. And why did I do that? Because I like ice cream. The biggest change for me though, and perhaps the ice cream became the replacement of this a little bit, the biggest change is I was in a habit over the last 10 years or so of most meals having a beer with dinner. And I completely removed that over the last seven months or so. What I actually did is shifted some very nice non-alcoholic beer that gave me the ritual, gave me the taste, because I wasn't chasing alcohol, but I just really liked the taste and the ritual. So probably four or five nights, I have a non-alcoholic beer. And then at the weekend, well, I'd have a beer if I felt like it. Beyond that, dinners, occasions, birthdays, vacations, what I did there, I just ate how I want. I had desserts, I had beers, I had glasses of wine. I really didn't change a thing on that. I just went on and lived my life. I didn't want to make this a monkey on my back. And so I was pretty low key, to be honest, about all of that stuff. 
around sleep, well, I'm a morning lark. So I'd go to bed about 9 p.m. I'd wake up before 5 a.m., quite often 4 or 4.30 in the morning. That would always kick off with two to three espressos. I love my coffee, a big, large glass of precision hydration and get into light as quickly as I can. And I always aim to exercise early. Good kickoff to the day. Typically, almost all my training outside of bike rides that were longer than two hours, all of my training I did fasted. I tend to prefer it like that. I like exercising on an empty stomach. But of course, following training, it was that post-workout fueling and typically that big bowl of oatmeal. So that's how I did it. How about the long rides? Let's talk about fueling because this is something we're going to go through when we talk about this and on the daily reports in the alt route. My fueling. Well, I was very, very lucky. I had the personal counsel of Andy Blow at Precision Hydration, and he helped me with an overall framework. And here it is. Now, I think the backdrop to this. Firstly, I'm a pretty mid-level sweater. I'm not that salty. I'm pretty middle of the range. I lose about 700 milligrams per hour. And so, and the reason I know this, by the way, is I went through sweat testing that we deliver at the Purple Patch Performance Center in San Francisco. That is open to everyone, by the way. You can just head to the website and sign up. It's a fantastically insightful tool to understand and help you build out your custom hydration needs. But anyway, I'm a midline sweater. So here's what I would do. Before the bike ride, I would prehydrate. I'd have about 1,000 milligrams of precision hydration in a big pint glass. Boom gulp it down. And then throughout the bike ride, I would aim for about a litre an hour. And normally, that was almost exclusively at a thousand milligram solution. I would use the capsules or the sachets of precision fuel and hydration, and I would pop it in my bottles. And that was the perfect one for me. If it was hot or I was going really long, I might introduce some 1500 milligram sodium sachets. And if it was really cold, miserable, and wet, and then I would shift down to maybe some 500 milligram. That was it. Over the first two hours of every bike ride, I would build it around quick-release sugar. And so I would use precision fuel and hydration gels and chews, and pretty much nothing else. I really like them. They're neutral. They're functional. I wouldn't have them for dessert, but they are never offensive. And I think that is the very best thing that you can ask for in any sports nutrition product. And then in the middle of the bike rides, I tend to move to what you might label more macros. In other words, bars, um, sandwiches, trail mix, components like that that comprised of carbohydrate, protein, and fat, hence all of the macros. And finally, in the last 60 to 90 minutes of those longer bike rides, I revert back to gels and chews. And the reason for that is twofold. Number one, it's important to keep fueling for your performance in the back end of it, but also I want to create the habit of me actually consuming calories in that last hour when I think about multi-stage riding. So I start to fuel in the back end to prepare for the next day, to make sure that I have to make up less of a deficit as I try and refuel at the end of the day. And folks, that's my preparation. That's how I did it. I'm sure many of you guys are going to be listening to that and think, goodness me, the geezer ain't ready. He's going to have a nightmare. And that might be true. In fact, if you look at things by the book, I am classically nowhere near ready. But ultimately, actually, I think I'm really pretty fit and I think I'm going to be okay. And think what I've done is the best job that I can do within the context of my life. I can also say the same about my brothers and the five other friends that I'm going with, all of whom have followed the same program. 
So now we have eight folks, all time starved, all middle-aged men. I wish we had some middle-aged females as well, but all middle-aged men that are going to do this thing on a very similar program. So we'll start to see how it impacts and what the outcome is. I guess the proof will be in the pudding, won't it? Well, I'll promise that I will share with no filter. It will be raw. I hope you follow along. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be raw. And I'll let you know what happens. Episode one is going to be around August the 20th or so. We're going to report in from the start in Nice the day prior. And I'm going to be biting my nails, but also with excitement. I'm sure it's going to be the adventure of a lifetime. And I hope that we all stay safe and all the competitors and we all get home. Thanks for following along. It should be a lot of fun. Next week, we'll do a little bit of return to education. And then it's going to be a special daily series on the Alt Route. Until then, take care. Guys, thanks so much for joining and thank you for listening. I hope that you enjoyed the new format. You can never miss an episode by simply subscribing. Head to the Purple Patch channel of YouTube and you will find it there and you could subscribe. Of course, I'd like to ask you if you will subscribe. Also, share it with your friends. And it's really helpful if you leave a nice positive review in the comments. Now, any questions that you have, let me know. Feel free to add a comment and I will try my best to respond and support you on your performance journey. And in fact, as we commence this video podcast experience, if you have any feedback at all, as mentioned earlier in the show, we would love your help in helping us to improve. Simply email us at info at purplepatchfitness.com or leave it in the comments of the show at the Purple Patch page and we will get you dialed in. We'd love constructive feedback. We are in a growth mindset, as we like to call it. And so feel free to share with your friends. But as I said, let's build this together. Let's make it something special. It's really fun. We're really trying hard to make it a special experience. And we want to welcome you into the Purple Patch community. With that, I hope you have a great week. Stay healthy. Have fun. Keep smiling, doing whatever you do. Take care.